Welcome to Plodcast episode 89. Plodcast episode 89. If you've not noticed, that's just one shy of 90. I mean, so the next time it's going to be 90. I want to talk a little bit about uh, woke evangelicals. Woke evangelicals. Uh, this, uh, that phrase, woke, is, um, um, has come into common currency in recent years, describing people who have uh, had the lights come on, who have come to the realization that all was not as it had appeared to them uh, growing up. Woke evangelicals are are people who are all of a sudden who have all of a sudden been sensitized to the plight of um, uh, blacks in America, or sensitized to the plight of sexual minorities in America, LGBTQ plus types. Um, uh, being woke means um, being uh, sensitized to all the uh, grief that women have to put up with, etc. Et so, woke evangelical, and it's it's very easy for woke evangelicals to say, "Well, this is just golden rule stuff," or "This is just uh, this is basic Bible stuff." You know, we need to be nice. We and we need to be nicer, and we need to be nice, uh, having come to our senses, having seen or becoming woke to the consequences of slavery in America or the consequences of uh, all the years of Jim Crow and, and, and so on. Now, uh, on one level, every, every Christian who's got a, a sense of decency at all uh, has to applaud the idea, at least the idea in the abstract, of reconciling groups that are hostile to each other or removing tensions between groups that are in tension or um, solving, uh, solving problems that are experienced as problems by people on both sides of a divide. The, my complaint against uh, woke evangelicalism is that by abandoning uh, discussion of Christ and his cross when it comes to these things is that we are abandoning any hope of actually accomplishing a reconciliation. So, um, in in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that in in Christ we see the eradication of distinctions between barbarian and Scythian and slave and free and um, uh, Jew and Greek. Uh, you have the same thing in Galatians where he is— and these are groups that have all sorts of reasons to be suspicious of each other, to be uh, to be hostile to one another, and, and so on. When when people point to slavery uh, in American slavery, chattel slavery, which ended about a century and a half ago, and it's still a hot political issue now, such that some of our current uh, candidates for the Democratic nom- nomination are talking about reparations so that we ought to. Um, uh, we ought to put together a package or a proposal for reparations to pay uh, blacks for the legacy of slavery. The problem with this is it's it's not that white America is too chintzy to come up with money that would actually solve the racial tension between blacks and whites in America. Uh, the the reason for being suspicious, if, if someone came to me, you know, if the archangel Gabriel came down and, and said, 
hey, here's a great plan. If you get your congressman to introduce this plan in Congress, and if it passes, there's a guaranteed word for from heaven that uh, for $10 billion, you can eliminate race uh, racial animosity in the United States. The the problems, the difficulties uh, between whites and blacks for $10 billion will be gone. Now, I think that that would be a tempting offer. You know, <laughs> man, if, if someone said, no, no, um, $10 billion, I mean, that's talking about real money there. And, and I'd rather... I'd rather keep things as they are. I'd rather uh, the hostility continue because I love my money. Well, you know, it's easy to see how that would be a uh, a hard-hearted, flint-hearted individual talking that way, thinking that way, reacting that way. So my problem, the reason um, I'm reluctant to uh, go down the reparations road is, and and. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I'm not reluctant to go down that road. I'm opposed to going down that road. The reason I'm opposed to going down that road is not because I'm not willing to pay the money that it would take to get whites and blacks on a good footing. The problem is, the reason I'm opposed is I'm absolutely convinced that reparations, a reparations movement, is going to make race relations far, far worse. We're going to be like that woman in the Gospels who spent all all her money on doctors, and the more she spent her money, the more her problem was not solved. So basically, if you've got people who are ex- extracting money from a population and the problem that they're uh, using or pointing to in order to extract that money does not go away, then that tells you that the problem is not a problem that they're solving, that problem is the farm where they grow their money. So, uh, what would happen? <laughs> um, what would happen if you had a reparations industry and you had all kinds of people who were now dependent on the flow of money? And the archangel Gabriel showed up magically in a room and said, "Here, here's the here's the easy button. Here's the button. Just somebody push it, and all the race." Uh, racial animosity will disappear for free. Won't even cost ten ten million billion dollars. There'd be all kinds of people who'd be opposed to pushing that button, because if you actually if you have a war on racism going, and there are numerous paychecks payouts that are happening because of that war on racism, what would happen if we eradicated racism? Well, what happens? Is just in the same way that you have when you have a war on poverty, you need you're creating a livelihood for a bunch of people who are conducting the war on poverty, and so what you need is more poverty so they can have something to conduct a war on. Um, so basically, the the difficulty with the woke approach is that I believe that the policy proposals, the things that people want to do in order to achieve this state of universal harmony uh, are a bad idea and will, and will result in the opposite happening. So when I oppose woke evangelicals, it's not that I'm opposing universal harmony. It's I, I don't want to um, introduce misguided proposals that in the name of making everything better will actually make everything worse. Oh. 
So my book review for uh, uh, podcast episode 89 uh, is a book by a, a couple of guys, uh, Heath and Potter, um, and it's called Nation of Rebels, Nation of Rebels. Now, this is one of those books uh, that uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I think that these guys would be men of the left. Um, they are uh, indebted to the political thinker uh, Thomas Franks, who is, uh, um, who's written some books that I've really profited by. He's also decidedly, uh, decidedly on the left. But he, um, uh, Franks, wrote a, a couple of books. Um, uh, Commodify Your Descent is uh, one of them. Another book was The Conquest of Cool. And this book is uh, running in the same uh, what vein. It's running in the same vein. It's called Nation of Rebels. And basically, uh, uh, their, in, their analysis is very uh, insightful and, and shows that, uh, that the idea of counterculture in America is a, an illusion. So we, t- we like to think that there you've got um, mainstream establishment types, chamber of commerce types, um, you know, the, well, chamber of commerce types, we'll just call them that. And then you've got the um, alternative counterculture hipster type. And uh, w- what Heath and Potter are showing, are engaged in showing, is that in America— the counterculture is the culture. The counterculture is the mainstream. It's not a side tributary. It's not a, it's not a little thing off in the backwoods. It's not a little trickle stream. The counterculture is the mainstream. And, um, and what happened, and, and it's really an ironic thing because um, what has happened is the, you know, back in the, um, you might say back in the um, days when the pre pre hippie days, when you, you were dealing with the beat poets or the bohemians, those sorts of people, and it was just a handful of people that would, you know, frequently get arrested or or they would really they they're really off the beaten uh, track. Uh, that you someone could make an argument that that was a counterculture, uh, and and there is a pretense of maintaining that kind of counterculture, um, like the if you've ever seen uh, Adbusters magazine, um, they're all about not being like the slick marketers of corporate America. But that's just a difference in the product. I mean, and the, this book begins with uh, 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 pointing out the uh, anomaly of Adbusters uh, selling a uh, pair of sneakers, you know, marketing their own sneakers, and that's part. That's part of how this whole scam works. In America today, there is no genuine counterculture. Uh, I would like to see the Christian Church become that genuine counterculture, but I think we're too implicated in uh, the whole system as it is. I don't think we've distinguished ourselves enough. I don't think we've separated ourselves out enough. If you like trenchant cultural analysis, um, those books I mentioned by Thomas Franks, Commodify Your Descent, and um, 
Conquest of Cool. And this book, uh, Nation of Rebels, shows very clearly that we are not um, <laughs> we're not marching to a different drummer at all. And the people, the, the being a hipster is mainstream. Being being um, one of the cool kids is mainstream. And of course, that destroys utterly the whole idea of being cool. Podcast episode 89 continues, and we come now to the Hamartiology section. So the servant of God must not be a striver, the Bible tells us, and yet he must correct the obstinate and the proud. Paul tells Timothy that he must be prepared to meekly instruct those who oppose themselves. That's what we're going to be looking at today uh, in 2 Timothy 2.25. He has to meekly instruct those who oppose themselves. And the word here is ante diatithimai, ante diatithimai, and it describes those who set themselves up in opposition. This is not because they've carefully heard the words of the gospel and have found them wanting. Rather, it's because they hate the very aroma that proceeds from these words, even before they're spoken. This native opposition is hard to overcome. But Paul says that it is sometimes overcome by means of meek and patient instruction. So when someone comes into a, a unevangelized area or you're preaching the gospel to a group of people and you first present the gospel, there will be people there who volunteer for the position of generaling or, or leading the opposition. They set themselves up in opposition, and this is just the way it goes. This is the way people are. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.